Hey, soccer fans and SO peeps, this is Nick back at Sons of a Pitch Soccer Central. We are recapping MLS Week 9, what I'm calling the Seeing Red Week or the Relapse Week because there were a lot of red cards this week as well as teams relapsing, relapsing back to their old form. We saw Orlando, Kansas City, Dallas, New England all scoring goals again, but we also saw Houston, TFC, and DC United taking L's like they used to and the Chicago Fire again dropping a game late, reminiscent of last season. Now, stay tuned as we look at all the results, but first, we got to hit the... Welcome back, soccer fans and SO peeps. Again, I'm your host, Nick, and a big thanks to Mike over at Sons of a Pitch Soccer Central, my good friend, for bringing me back, having me do these weekly recap videos where we record the videos on a Sunday night, premiere them on a Monday evening, and we get to interact with everybody in the chat. I'm loving it. Before we get into all the excitement of this past weekend, we got a few housekeeping items to take care of, as usual like the video, hit that like button, subscribe to the channel, and share the video. Copy the link, send it out to your friends, family, co-workers, cousins, brothers, sisters, parents, in-laws, everybody out there. Let's keep this conversation going and growing for the sport of soccer in America. And if you like the channel, if you like what we're doing here at Sons of a Pitch Soccer Central, send us a super chat, throw a few bucks our way. Everything we make, we reinvest back into the channel. Better equipment, better graphics, better everything for you, our consumer, our fans, and our friends. And come on, I gotta keep my boss happy here. I gotta keep Mike happy. So let's uh, let's see if we can get a few super chats going, even if it's of the 99 cent variety. You know what? I still haven't gotten my first super chat, and I know everyone's throwing them at Mike. So I'd love to get in on that action. Additionally, make sure you subscribe monetarily to the channel so you can get all the bonuses that come with being an all-star member or a premium member or just a DP level member here at Sons of a Pitch Soccer Central. You get the bonus emojis. You get your name scrolling down below. You get discounts on the merch, like one of these beautiful shirts. In fact, we can slap this logo on just about anything. So make sure you check it out in the description below. And uh, finally, you know, you also get the super secret paywall prevented videos that Mike puts out that uh, I think you gamblers may like. Pardon me, strategic investors, not gamblers. What am I thinking? Anyway, also, if you like what I do, you can follow me on Twitter on my own page, uh, Wife Kids House on Twitter, as well as my YouTube channel, Wife Children House. Uh, we do a lot of Chicago Fire talk. I try to do some soccer sketch comedy, but I am happy to be here tonight with you at SOP Soccer Central talking everything MLS Week 9. Now, let's see if we can get some of these recaps going here. See if I can get the technology to work a little bit better than I did last time. Let's see how we do in here. And here we go. Now, to first say things, Seattle had no game this weekend. The league gave them the weekend off because they've got League Two of their CONCACAF Champions League final coming up against Pumas in Seattle. There's going to be an earthquake. They're going to have that stadium rocking. And hopefully, gosh, hopefully, fingers crossed, knock on wood, prayers said, uh, who's got a lucky rabbit's foot or a horseshoe, something we can rub or put on the sideline of, of Lumen Field there to make sure that Seattle is the first MLS team to win the CONCACAF Champions League. 
Now let's get into our MLS Week 9 action from Saturday, April 30th. Just going to run through the slate of games here. First of all, Houston drops a home game to Austin, interstate rival, intrastate rival. Uh, two to one here. As you can see, Ferreira for Houston gets things started early in the fifth minute. But Austin, with the comeback win, Pereira and Jerishi get the two goals for Austin. Now we're going to look at some of the stats, and then I'll give you some of my comments and notes as well as we go through this. Looking here, look at that. Austin with 60% possession. That really jumps out to me, as well as the passing numbers and accuracy. Typically, we're seeing teams in the high 300s, mid 400s with passes, and passing accuracy yeah, around 80%. If you're well above 80, you're doing well. If you're below 80%, you definitely have some room to improvement. At least that's the trend that I've seen in the league this season. If any of you have noticed anything else or have other stats to back it up, please let me know. Now let's kind of scroll down a little bit here. We see six yellow cards. The league has definitely made an emphasis on breaking up uh, counterattacks by the other team, a yellow card-worthy offense, even if it's just a little tap on the shoulder, a little pull behind. If you do that, if you break it up, it's a yellow card. And we are seeing a lot more yellow cards and red cards as a result of it. Which, again, players, keep your shirts on, please, when you celebrate a goal. You don't need those unnecessary yellows because then you're going to get one sometime later and get sent off for accumulation of yellow cards here. Now, as you can see here, some of the shooting, you saw Austin with a lot of good chances from inside the, the 18 as well as right around the 18. But right here, Houston's goal. From Carlos Ferreira, from the midfield line, it was an absolute beauty of a goal. It was a worldie. He saw Talbert, Austin's goalkeeper, way off of his line because he had been called in action to, to receive a, a short back pass. And he was way outside the box. And Ferreira takes the shot from the line, puts it in the perfect positioning. Talbert can only swat at the ball and like falls into the back of the net as he's doing it what a goal goal of the week maybe goal of the season go find the highlight of this it's it's insane but yes you can see right here from the spot that he took that shot incredible incredible we can also look at some of the passing but here's the possession look at that austin dominated austin dominated the possession in this game it's fantastic to see the system that joss wolf has implemented really paying off and then another stat that i like to look at expected goals, you know, and that is the goal scoring chance, right? If if Houston has a 1.8 XG, that means they were expected to score at least one, almost two goals this game based on the quality of chance. So of all the shots that Houston took, 1.8 of them were supposed to go in. Meanwhile, Austin here, very low XG. So high difficulty, making the most of it. Looking at my notes here, Austin is definitely the surprise team of the season so far. And really what bodes well from them is they were able to fight back in this game. They go down early to a ridiculous goal from Ferreira, right? It doesn't break their spirits. A lot of teams would kind of slump, but you know what? They got right back in it, especially against another Texas rival. Now, Jeruisi for Austin is really finding his form. He has seven goals in nine games so far. And he was brought in to be that primary striker for Austin. Last season, though, he had to find his feet. He only had five goals in 17 games. He's already had more than that in half as much time. So he's definitely one of those up-and-coming MVP candidates, but a huge contributor for Austin. I do want to give honorable mention here to Houston's goalkeeper, Steve Clark, 
who had some great first half saves to really keep this game from getting away from the Dynamo early on. But in the end, Austin comes away with three points. Now let's take a look at the next game on the slate. Toronto at home losing 2-1 to one to FC Cincinnati. Jimenez gets one for Toronto in the 65th, but not before Cincinnati puts two in. Murphy in the 44th and Acosta in the 52nd. Toronto dominating possession and most of the statistical categories here. Um, one thing that's kind of weird is that Toronto had no offsides. Either they were really good in their possession or they weren't really pushing the Cincinnati back lines. Um, again, two yellow cards in this match, one per team. And if we get down to some of the possession intervals, you can see Toronto dominated the possession for long stretches of the game. And you can see that the expected goals were about even, one for Toronto, 0.8 for Cincy. So Cincy definitely making the most of their chances here. Now, what I will say is I'm not sure what to make of TFC losing to Cincinnati at home, right? Like, we know Cincinnati's been a little better this season than they have last season, but I feel like TFC should be winning this game, even though Mavinga goes out quick in the 24th minute with an injury. So if you TFC fans know what's going on, please let us know in the comments what's an update on Mavinga's status. You think this is a long-term thing or is it more of a precautionary thing? I didn't get a chance to watch the game myself, so I didn't know exactly what took him out. But I did get to watch all the highlights, and Jaden Nelson continues to impress for TFC. Personally, I think it's because of his great hair, uh, but it could be it could be his talent. It could be his, his upbringing in a soccer pedigree. But you know what? I, I think the hair has a lot to do with it for sure. Now, like I said, TFC dominated possession, 68-32 about. But Cincinnati gets their first goal off of a corner kick, while TFC is kind of caught ball-watching. And they give up the second one on a long throw, which is essentially a corner kick. It was a long throw from deep inside their own half, inside their own defensive third. So TFC kind of got to work on some set-piece defense coming out of this. I don't think you can panic too much, but at the same time, it's a disappointing result, especially being at home. Also, I wanted to use this game as a jumping off to discuss kind of MLS scheduling. And let me know what you guys think here. Tweet at us at SOP Soccer and at Wife Kids House. Let us know in the comments because I, I know MLS scheduling, just like any pro sport, is difficult to make. But TFC plays Cincinnati in back-to-back -back matches. And Chicago has played Orlando already twice this season. And I think there's a number of other teams who, even though nine weeks into the season we are, they've already played the conference opponent twice or had them in back-to-back -back games. I don't think that's a very fair and balanced schedule. Um, there's a lot that goes into play for MLS scheduling, absolutely, especially when you have teams playing in baseball stadiums, New York, or football stadiums, Charlotte. Like, I, There's a lot going on, and you know Nashville didn't have their home stadium yet, so there's a lot to take into consideration, but I do think MLS needs to do a better job balancing these schedules. Now, I'll give you COVID and the odd international breaks over the last year, absolutely, but what really got me thinking about this is I learned only recently that the German Bundesliga, they schedule, let's see, your team will play every other team in your, in your first half of the season and then play that every team again in the second half of the season. So your first half schedule is your second half schedule. So if you're playing 38 games, like week one and week 20 is the same team. Week two and week 21 is the same team. So it's a very balanced schedule. And I understand that they also have a lot of domestic league tournaments and Champions League, Europa League, all that stuff. So it can be done. 
It can be done, and I think MLS can do a better job with it. There's room for improvement. I'm not the guy to figure it out, but there's definitely, I think, room for improvement. Okay, rant over. Let's move on to our next match. Now, I got to do a quick check here on the video, make sure everything is running smoothly. Certainly looks like it. We are good to recap RSL v. LA Galaxy. Yep, beautiful stream here. 12 minutes in. RSL gets the surprise win. And I, I think it's a surprise that a good Galaxy team cannot score on the road at RSL. Um, Silva gets the, the game winner for RSL in the 49th minute. And LA, again, dominating possession, dominating shots, and eh, not as many shots on goal. But still, with four shots on goal, they probably should have had one. We'll see what the XG reveals. Great passing from LA. Um, but really... I, we'll see if it's a matter of them not creating quality shots and looking at the shot map, you see a lot of their shots are coming from further out just outside the 18. So maybe that could be it a low quality shot. And yeah, well, you know, 0.9, they should have had, they should have found one. Now my notes on this one, RSL coach Pablo Maserani calls this a gutsy win. And, and I would have to agree with him. And how about that RSL goal though, man, it's a good finish on a set piece. But what a whiff by L.A. goalkeeper Jonathan Bond. Like, he almost makes a mess of another header on a corner kick later. Meanwhile, RSL's goalkeeper McMath had several great saves, keeping RSL from giving up a point or a loss in this game. So great goalkeeping play on one side, not so great on the other. And if that's the only thing that separates these two teams, then maybe this one nothing result isn't as shocking as when you first look at it. Now, probably the play of the game was in the 92nd minute when L.A. had their equalizer called back because the goal scorer, I forget who it was, I couldn't quite see the angle on the replay, he kind of handles the ball to bring it down and then finds the back of the net. Um, VAR, I think the referee took like a two-second look at it. It's all he needed. So L.A. with a good game. RSL, though, with a gutsy performance, gets the goal off the set piece, and as we know, that can be all that separates teams who are playing a fairly even game or all that can give a kind of lesser team, I'll say, the advantage in, in a close game. I got two things to add, final thoughts here. RSL fans, how do you feel about Bobby Wood? You know, the, the former USMNT striker, former Bundesliga striker, I feel like he fell off real quick over in Germany, and I'm glad to see him back in the U.S., back in the MLS, Um but how's he doing? I haven't had a chance to watch him. I haven't looked at any of his numbers or his film. How's he doing? Do you like him? Do you, do you think he's been a great addition to the team? He had a really good opportunity, and I think he's getting goal dangerous. But I'd like to know what your RSL fans think. And my other note, if you're watching in L.A., do me a favor. Watch Mark Delgado. There's a reason why Vanny brought him over with him from TFC. He's doing a lot of work that may not show up on the score sheet, but if you're looking at advanced numbers and if you're just looking at the eye test as well, he's getting into good good spaces, creating a lot for his team. So watch Delgado, and when he's playing well, I think you can say L.A.'s playing well. Next up on our slate of games, Montreal. Almost as surprising as Austin here with a 2-1 victory over Atlanta United. The five stripes drop another one despite getting a goal from Moreno in the 51st. Montreal scores early, Kamal, a Kamal Miller header in the 4th, and a Torres goal in the 82nd to put the game away. Looking at some of the stats here, Atlanta with the bulk of the possession, not really surprising there, but both teams getting their share of shots and shots on goal. 
Uh, again, Atlanta is controlling the game, dominating most of the offensive statistics here. Six yellow cards. I wonder what the league's going to have, these teams are going to have to say to the officials in the league when a lot of their players end up getting suspended for yellow card accumulation. Um, looking at the quality of opportunity here in the shot breakdown, you see a lot of, um, you know, the goals for, or the shots for Montreal coming at close range, coming from inside the box. So they're getting some good creativity. Though I like seeing a team like Atlanta, and I'll mention it with Colorado too, I like seeing them kind of putting some shots out from outside the 18, right? They're not afraid to wind up. They're not afraid to take a shot. And it, sometimes it helps draw the defense out if you're having a difficult time breaking them down. Again, looking at the, at the possession intervals, you'll see Atlanta with the bulk of it. Uh, Montreal, two expected goals. They hit their number. The model worked in this case perfectly. And for Atlanta, just you know, 0.8 expected goals. So about on for them, um, but they could not get any more better quality opportunities, unfortunately, for the five stripes and their fans. Guys, I, I think, though, it is time to say it, right? Atlanta's bad. Montreal's good. I think it's time to say it. And we're going to look at the standings at the end of the recap and see where both of these teams fall and where they're at right now. But that to me is, is kind of the instinct. That's where I'm leaning right now. And I usually say you are what you are in MLS until you're not. And Atlanta has been a great team until they haven't been these last couple seasons. And Montreal has been an average to bad team until this season. I think now that we're nine games into it, again, we'll check the standings. I think we can say Atlanta bad. Montreal good. Now, Atlanta are without Guzan, who tore his Achilles, and, and Joseph, who had another injury uh, some weeks back. Someone just needs to file a missing persons report on the Atlanta offense because in their last they, – they have 11 goals over the season, but only three of them in their last five league games. Um, though i got to say, the Moreno's goal, the near post one – beautiful to tuck it in there when a striker is going near post you know he's feeling himself you know he's finding the groove so we'll see if he can keep it going next week meanwhile Montreal's playing great you got Mihailovic who's a potential uh, MLS MVP a lot of people are still talking him up for a USMNT call-up even at the number nine spot which would be interesting to see him play but honestly he should get a call-up just for his set piece ability the way he can serve the ball into dangerous areas it's fantastic his cross in the fourth minute was perfection. He puts it on the far post, just enough loft to get it to the to get it over the defenders and to kind of keep the goalie guessing, right? He doesn't know to come out of his line and stay back. It's right around that six, seven yard area away from the goal line. So the goalie would have to take maybe three or four steps to get there. So he'd rather stay in his line. Makes him think about it. It's the perfect spot for that cross. And every single one of his set pieces and crosses is put into a dangerous area. But he's not just whipping in blinding, you know, blind crosses. Like, let's just put it in the mixer and see what happens. Even though I am a fan of seeing guys on corner kicks, just put it in the mixer as opposed to going short. But Mihailovic is picking out his teammates on these crosses from across the field, these switches, these corners, these set pieces. He is finding his guys. He is at a different level than a lot of other Montreal players and a lot of other MLS players. And if he continues to have this season, we're going to be talking about him as a potential MVP as we continue. But now as we continue, something probably more surprising than a Montreal player winning MVP, Columbus finds three goals in their game here. They are the victors at home 
over DC United 3-0. Goals coming from Santos, Etienne, and Nagby. Now, looking at the statistics here, DC with a majority of the possession, but not a majority of the opportunities, though. Let's get down and see some of the shooting, right? That's what we're concerned about in a game between two teams who had been struggling. Now, DC and Columbus actually, hey, maybe my eye test was a little off here because DC and Columbus have about the same expected goals. Columbus was converting them. DC was not. Teams with 13 and 11 shots each and three shots on target each. Now, uh, looking at my notes on this one here, guys. Before the game, I told our friend Connor, and go check out Connor for all things crew. Connor McCabe on YouTube and on Twitter. Um, I said this would be the game that makes me wish soccer had commercial breaks, right? I just didn't see D.C. going on the road and lighting it up, and I didn't see Columbus actually coming out of their slump yet. But I was wrong. And for Connor's sake and for crew fans' sake, I'm glad I was wrong on that one. Um, I don't think we saw the crew scoring three, though. And that Santos goal was a fantastic free kick from just outside the 18. Now, he blasted it and put it in the perfect position. So I don't want to take anything away from him. But I don't know what D.C. goalkeeper John Kevin was doing. He was way out of position. He had the wall covering the near post, and he was also covering the near post. Did he think Santos was going to loop it over and was trying to cheat? Even if he thinks he's going to do that, the wall's got to cover the near post, and you got to cover the far post, man, and be ready to go back if you can make a read on the ball. But he put himself behind the wall. He couldn't see it, and Santos blasted it far post, right? It was not good positioning for him on that one. Also, on the second goal, the Etienne goal, again, it was a great play by, by Etienne and an excellent buildup by the crew, but he was slow, took a bad angle. He did not play well in this game. He did not do his team any favors, let's say. But for D.C., they're going to want a few of these shots back. I think they hit the post twice. Uh, Gressel misses on an open back post shot, uh, puts it over the top on a volley, and, and other than a few good opportunities and a few off the post, they really didn't seem to threaten that much, at least from what I was watching on the highlights and some of the recaps. Uh, for that third goal, Nagby, another beautiful volley from outside the 18. Uh, but again, Kempen, wrong-footed, has no chance, can't read it, just not a good night from him at all. Now, let's take a look at the next game. I think uh, I got a little out of order here with my, my windows here as far as the schedule goes. So we're going to go Orlando Charlotte next. And Orlando, like I mentioned in the intro, getting back to their winning ways here with a 2-1 victory over Charlotte. Teixeira and Torres get the goals for Orlando, while Christian Fuchs buries it from the spot. By the way, I think one of the funniest things on Twitter right now is when Christian Fuchs has a great game or great play or Charlotte wins, and he uses his name as part of his hashtag, no Fuchs given. I think it's fantastic. Go check it out. Give him a follow. It's absolutely worth it. Now, looking at the stats, as we see Orlando and Charlotte, two of the more brightly colored teams here in MLS. Charlotte actually with the majority of the possession, though both teams are about the same with their shots. Seven for Orlando, eight for Charlotte, though Orlando does put four of them on net. Um, Charlotte with a lot of passing, but we've seen Charlotte play a lot of passes in several games in the past, and it's been more of defensive third, middle third, maintaining possession, moving the ball around, that it is really trying to, to threaten. And we'll see if that translates as far as uh, expected goals, right? Again, six yellow cards in this game. Does anyone have any stats on yellow cards historically in the MLS? I feel like we're seeing a lot this season, not just from what I said 
earlier on that referees are making a point of emphasis on some of these fouls, these counterattacking breakup fouls. But even so, I think that, that there's a lot. Maybe guys are taking their shirt off a lot more. I think that's happened already three or four times in the last couple of weeks. And those are just obvious yellow cards you have to give. So, as you can see, we talked about that uh, that passing. Charlotte's passing overall, 83%, you know, but that drops down into the 70% range in the final third. So not stringing those together in the attacking third. A lot of possession they had towards the end of the game uh, when Orlando was trying to hang on to that lead. So we look at the expected goals. Yeah, not terrible. So Charlotte had some decent opportunities here. Um, 1.1 XG for Charlotte, 1.3 XG for Orlando. But as we see, Orlando gets the two to one victory. A few notes I looked on, on this one. Um, Definitely some of the expansion energy around Charlotte has worn off. Uh, now they really got to start handling the pressure of, of a full MLS season, right? Hopefully the fans are still out there. And if you're a Charlotte fan, if you've gone to the Charlotte games, let me know. How's the atmosphere been now that we're nine weeks into the season? Is the vibe still positive? Is the place still rocking? Like, let me know what's going on. Because I feel the on-the-field play, has their energy has dropped a little. And I wonder if that has to do with with just how much they built it up for the first couple weeks of the season. Also, from an X's and O's standpoint, Carol Swiderski is not getting as many opportunities to shoot, let alone score, as he did early on. Now, he has six shots in Charlotte's last four games. Three of those are on goal. And this definitely highlights Charlotte's struggles as of late. They have three losses, a draw, and one win in their last six matches. Again, if you don't have offense, you can't win games, plain and simple. Meanwhile, for Orlando, Ron had a great performance, highlighted with the celebration, putting on uh, the DC comic book character, The Flash, putting that mask on, striking the pose. I love it. I think it's fantastic. I think there needs to be more mask celebrations in the MLS. We saw Albert Elise used to do it with the Black Panther mask. Now we got Rowan as The Flash. Um, honestly, fans, what, what do you guys think? What player would match up with some sort of superhero or masked character. Personally, I would love to see someone with a Ninja Turtle mask. You know, I, as a kid, I was related a little more to Donatello, kind of the nerdy, smarter type, um, believe it or not. But what I don't know what player, I haven't thought about it enough, that would don a, a Ninja Turtle mask, how that would match up. Um, but if there's someone you think would have a great mask out there, like leave it in the comments, tweet it at us. Um, Mike, hey, let's start a Twitter poll. Like, what superhero mask should be worn by your favorite player? Let's figure it out. Anyway, moving on in the schedule, we have New England at home against Miami, and uh, no place like home for New England, at least this week, where they get a 2-0 victory over the Herons of Inter-Miami. They start things off real quick in the first minute with a Rivera goal, and then Buxa seals the deal. Buxa seals the deal in the 64th minute. Um, for Miami, no goals, but two red cards. Man, like I said, it's the CN Red and Relapse weekend, right? Damian Lowe in the 60th minute and Quinteros in the 76th. So not a good look for Miami at all. And the, and the stats bear it out the same. New England had 67% possession, 18 shots to Miami's seven. Uh, passing Miami, 337 passes, 79% completion. Meanwhile, New England pretty much almost, yeah, they eh, can't do math. Yeah, they about doubled uh, the, the passes that Inter-Miami had, and they were doing it at an almost 90% completion rate. 
that's that's incredible. Miami just got run into the ground, and with those two red cards, absolutely New England's going to dominate the possession. Let's see, the Reds were in the 60th and the 76th. Now let's see how the possession uh, intervals were. Yeah, right here, starting in that last half hour of the game, you see it was all New England. And again, when Miami's down two players, they're gassed, they're exhausted. Also in this game, uh, let's see, where are my notes on this one? Um, Campana, Leo Campana gets sent off with an injury, supposedly with tightness in his leg. So if, if you're following the injury, if you're following the Miami news, let us know in the comments. Again, tweet at us at SOP Soccer and at Wife Kids House. Uh, what's going on with Campana? Is this is this a short-term thing? Is this precautionary? Or do you think he's going to miss a couple of games? Because with, if he does, as well as uh, Lowe and Quinteros with the red cards, Miami's going to be a little short-handed next week. Now, looking at some of my notes here, great to see the Revs back in the win column. I know their fans have been waiting for it. Also, uh, Matt Turner, he's back. He was back in net for the Revs. Um, had three good saves. But really, his presence, I think, helps study that back line and give the whole team a lot more confidence coming coming into this game. Um, the, the other thing on the Miami side of things, though, they just looked sloppy, especially in the back. Their passes were getting intercepted. They were playing the, playing the ball straight to New England. A lot of sloppy play by Miami's back line. And most of New England's chances and their goals came from just – Bad turnovers. Credit to New England for being in the right places and maybe counter-pressing a little bit. I don't know how much Bruce Arena instills that in his players, if it's more instinctual for them. But, man, Miami looks sloppy. And what's interesting is, you know, Phil Neville on a couple times just absolutely lost his mind, either on the red cards, on the goals, on the tape. He's losing his mind on the sideline. And I'm thinking, Phil, disciplinary issues? as well as sloppy play and disorganized defense, that's on you, man. You're the coach. You only have yourself to blame for this kind of stuff. Anyway, it's clear that Miami, as good as they played over their last stretch of games, has not gotten over that hump yet. Not yet. Anyway, they're getting there. They're getting there. Now, the next game on the weekend was Chicago hosting New York, and it was another woeful offensive performance by the Fire. There was a very lengthy rain delay, it's thunderstorms, lightning in Chicago. It was very, very frightening. But for more of this and for a full recap of the game, uh, please make sure you subscribe to our podcast wherever podcasts are found. Uh, we put it out through Anchor FM, so thanks to them for uh, having such a great platform to work off of. And our Chicago Fire recap is done by a good friend of the show, John Donovan. He's been with us. All five seasons we've been doing this. One of our first supporters and a fan. And, John, I think I, I owe you a phone call or at least a text message um, after some of this fire action this week. Um, but, but friends and viewers and listeners, on the YouTube side of things, we are going to take a quick break. So hurry up, hit the John, get a refill, you know, kind of <clears throat> stretch out a little bit, move around, take a movement break, as the kids in school are doing nowadays. Um, but for those of you on the podcast side of things, stay tuned for John Donovan and his Chicago Fire recap, and we will be back after this. This MLS Weekly Recap is sponsored by Skira. 
Icelandic spring water available at your local 7-Eleven. Icelandic for clear ski water comes from a spring in a nature preserve in Iceland with naturally low mineral content. This isn't your average water. Clearly, yes, pun intended, it's one of the best. Get some Skira today at your local 7-Eleven. And now it's time for our weekly Chicago Fire Update brought to you by John Donovan. Take it away, John. Nick, John Donovan here covering the uh, Chicago Fire and the MLS. Uh, Nick, this season is getting a little crazy here. Um, before I get started, Nick, I, I think I said this in another, two things I said in other podcasts. One, a great coach in South America once told the team, do not talk to the referees. And it was very good advice. I remember him saying that and uh, literally all the team backed off the referees and we did. Referees gave us a lot of respect during the games. Ezra's team is obviously out of control. And then the second thing is Duran. I remember reading about him in the Colombian papers last year. And out of like 17 games, he had 12 yellow cards. And I thought this, and he wasn't playing full time. So very suspicious. So um, obviously a very disappointing game this week. Um, the fire got a break early on on a red car, a, a, a uh, handball in the area. I, I really, John Fletcher, the ref, I don't think he had one of his better games, but this was a very suspicious red ball, but uh, the fire scored and that was their sixth goal of the season in 10 games. Two of those goals or th- a couple of those goals have come from penalty kicks. So from the play, the play um, they've had only four goals this year. That is terrible. But these crazy red cards that this team is getting is um, killing this team. Um, Brian Gutierrez in the Orlando game uh, stood in front of a direct kick, got a yellow card, and then tackled the player on the 43rd minute out. So the team got whooped by Orlando 1-0. Then in the Minnesota game, previously, the game before that, they played L.A. Four yellow cards. Lucky they didn't get a red. Minnesota game, um, Federico Navarro. In the 77th minute, takes out a guy in the penalty area, done, gone in the final 18 minutes of the game. Um, after he left the field, three goals. Um, yesterday, John Fletcher was the referee, and I don't think he had one of his better games, that's for sure. But um, Duran, two stupid, stupid yellow cards. The final one, I was just shocked, where he just pushed the guy off the go- off the ball. It and then he looked surprised. I mean, my Lord, this was the super kid coming up. And then Raphael um, Sejos at the end, I mean, he, he said something to the referee, you know, probably the F word. That gets you a card every time. And then he pulled the guy's legs down. I mean, he, he slide tackled the guy, didn't touch the ball, knew exactly what he had done, pounded the dirt and was gone. So um, I'm really starting to wonder about Ezra. After that, you know, you rarely see uh, a coach physically go after a referee. And in that Orlando game, after uh, Gutierrez got that red card in the 43rd minute at halftime, the uh, coaches had to restrain Ezra from going after the referee. And that, you know, you don't see that in soccer. Something is happening with this team. Now, if I recall back into the terrible days of Klopas, 
he lost the team in the locker room. There was no doubt about that. Um, that team did not function as a regular, as a team. And it was Klopa's ticket. I'm wondering whether Ezra has lost control of this team on the field. You do not lose games the way they're losing with these cards and, and back the mouth into the referees. It's just poor, poor soccer. Now, you know, their defense was, was all right. Um, they obviously at the end of the game when they they uh, had these cards and pulling guys off, they, they lost the game two to one. They were sliding into a win. I really thought they would have a win. The rain delay, a lot of excuses. Ezra used every excuse in the world, but the New York came back and beat him 2-1, and Ezra lost control of that team on the floor. Um, very, very poor coaching. Um, I like to, I mean, the team is in 12th place, right back to where they were under all the rest of these these guys. So you got to start looking at Hines. Is he, does he even know what he's doing in this league? I mean, we're right back there. So next week, thank the Lord, we got some, some hope coming in. We got Jarro Torres coming in from Atlas. And he scored against Tigres this week. They tied down there. So hopefully we have something to look forward to. I'm uh, really anxious to see this young man play. We, you know, with Duran out, I, I think that Ezra will bench him again. He's benched him before with yellow cards. Um, we'll have Chabilco back up front and Torres on the side. So hopefully we get something. You know, I, I was thinking about this team and Shakira. Remember them signing Shakira and it was this big deal and, and he was going to be this, the, the heart of the team. Well, he scored two penalty shots, and that is it. He's not overwhelming the competition. He's, he, he hasn't shown me what a lot of good, good MLS guys have shown. It's, um, it's really it's, it's somewhat depressing here. Nick, um, you know, we have scored four goals in 10 games from the run of play. Four goals. This is getting uh, really bad. But we're next week. It's against Atlanta, and Atlanta is—they're um, up there. They're in the playoffs. I mean, if the season stopped today, Atlanta would make it. But the other teams, Miami's playing well. These teams down that aren't in the playoffs are playing well, and we're faltering. And I don't know where the spark is going to come. I somebody, um, our our defense is going to be broken up next week. We lose our German player Chizos. Sijos, we lose him. Um, so if they have to put on uh, Turan, he's a walking red card. So we, Ezra's got to get control of this squad. And uh, Shakira has to do something for his $7 million bucks. So let's, let's um, all close our eyes, think that their new season's starting, and, uh, and we'll go back to the playbook. Nick, thank you very much for the opportunity. Uh, loved the show last week. Take care. Thanks for that Chicago Fire update, John. We'll talk to you next week. Are we ready? We ready to get back in it, fans? Well, here we go. Let's get back in it. And <clears throat> yeah, thank you for allowing me to take a quick break there to rest my voice a little bit. It has been a weekend. I actually was up in Detroit. I went to a Detroit City FC game, and it was raucous. It was rowdy, and I was screaming for 90 minutes with the Northern Guard and the supporters there. It was a blast. I'm actually going to do... Uh, a YouTube video on my own channel uh, at Wife Children House talking about that Detroit City game against Red Bulls 2 this weekend and all the fun I had up there. So make sure you head over to my channel 
uh, wife, children, house. Actually, the best way to do it is search for Backdraft Chicago Fire Recap, and you'll see my playlist of videos come up as I recap the Chicago Fire season. But anyway, let's get back into the MLS of Week 9. Remember, we're still looking for those Super Chats. We're still looking for your comments. We're still looking for your likes, your subscriptions, your paid subscriptions for all the bonus content here at SOP Soccer Central. And you're going to want to get in on it now before we get into all of the USMNT coverage that Mike is going to do, the watch-alongs with the friendlies against Uruguay and Morocco. And let's get in, in it, get in on it, join the community, get to know everybody, because we're all going to be here watching games together and talking about it come MLS playoff time and come World Cup time. Anyway, speaking of MLS, let's make sure that everything is back and rolling here. We go with the second half of the show. Sporting Kansas City and Dallas draw 2-2 two to two at Children's Mercy Park in Kansas City. Nice to see some goals coming from Kansas City finally. Nice to see Ferreira getting back on the board for FC Dallas. Let's take a look at the stats before we get into some of my comments. Uh, kind of an even game. Edge to Kansas City for possession shots. Shots on goal as well as, as their passing. Um, but here's what's wild. 18 crosses from Sporting Kansas City. So if you didn't know they liked to play on the wings, now you know they like to play on the wings and then get those crosses going into the middle. I think the, the most I've ever seen this season, not that I've looked at every game every time, I think Chicago had like 21 crosses one game. Uh, so, again, another team who wants to start their offense on the wings, at least, um, at least when Shakiri is not in, in the lineup. Anyway, I digress. Let's get back to uh, Dallas and Sporting Kansas City. Uh, nine, nine yellow cards in this game. Incredible. This is probably the most yellow carded game of the weekend, if not of the season so far, and you're getting a red card as well. Now, looking at where Kansas City had their opportunities, you can see they're getting in the box. They're taking shots from, from 20, 25 yards out, whereas Dallas really liked to try to get in close here. But for this one shot off target by Zabeling uh, in the 28th minute, I think he was just trying to open things up a little bit and, and kind of get in and annoy the, uh, the sporting Kansas City defense, but to no avail there. Um, again, we're going to look down and see some of the passing numbers here and the passing networks. This is kind of cool because you can see, you know, the different, you know, the connections that the players will have and, and how they're favored. Um, but man, looking at these intervals here, the possession intervals, you see Kansas City dominated that second half and gets the win. As far as expected goals uh, and quality chances here, Kansas City has a 1.8 XG. Dallas has a 1. Um but again, it was both teams finding the back of the net twice. Shallowy and Johnny Russell. Johnny Russell on a penalty kick that Shallowy drew. And Velasco and Ferreira for FC Dallas. Cervania for Dallas does get a red card in the 67th minute. Uh, I think that was a two-yellow card accumulation. But as far as my notes on this one, I, I guess if I'm Dallas, okay, take the point on the road against the conference opponent in Kansas City, a tough place to play. But if I'm Kansas City... I take this as an opportunity to build, right? They finally are, are scoring some goals. Uh, they get a they get a point. They can build off of this, getting Russell and Shallowy back involved in the offense. I gotta say though, that Velasco goal for Dallas that was nasty. He had a free kick. It was a 
to the right of Tim Melia's goal. And it was just outside the 18 yard box about even with the six yard line. And he just finds the perfect angle and puts it in that far corner. Uh, sporting Kansas city defender gets ahead on it, but can't do anything to turn it away from goal. Uh, just a nasty hit by Velasco. One other thing on this one, has anyone noticed when Tim Melia gets scored on, like the look on his face, it looks like someone killed his dog. Like he just has this just pure disgusted look on his face. And I guess he takes it personally, which maybe it's good for a goalkeeper to do that. But at the same time, I'm hoping it doesn't kind of rub off on his defense and kind of, you know, the whole body language argument. Anyway, Melia has been doing it for a long enough time. I don't think it's that big of a deal, but it is kind of entertaining to see the look on his face anytime the ball rolls past him. And we're going to keep rolling on here. Colorado v. Portland. A great win for Colorado. 2 nothing at home against the Portland Timbers. We get goals by Rubio and Kay. Uh, meanwhile, Portland really not doing much with a couple of their best players out. Blanco and Diego Chara. Difficult game for them. Despite having about even possession, about 50-50 possession with Colorado, uh, only three shots on goal for them. Colorado, six shots on goal. Colorado generated some offense uh, despite only having about 400 total passes here. They do have 15 crosses whipped in. So, again, Colorado liking uh, the wing play in this game. Ten yellow cards. I We had nine in the last game. We had ten in this one and one red card. Again, when are these teams going to start complaining that they're going to lose players due to yellow card accumulation because it's just insane? And again, looking at it in a larger context, one of the biggest issues with the MLS right now is depth. Teams don't have quality in roster spots like 15 through 23. You got your starting 11. You got a couple great subs who can come on, who may start for other teams or who could start on your team, but for whatever reason, they're, they're coming off the bench for you. But once you get into that 15, 18 area on your, on your senior roster here, that's when you start to notice the talent drop off a little bit. And a lot of the times teams are using roster spots 21, 22, and 23 for young homegrown guys just to get them some experience being with the first team, being in a game day environment. So really you're, you're only having about four or five subs or so that, that you really are confident in week in and week out. So if you're going to start having players sit because of yellow card accumulation, because referees are handing them out like popcorn, right? Is that the right phrase? Handing them out like popcorn? Hand anyway, somebody put the right phrase in the comment section here. Like they're handing them out like they're going on a style here, right? Um, is the league going to do something about that? Are teams going to start complaining? Anyway, maybe I'm making up a storyline here. Uh, I'm not that big of a media guy where I'm going to start making up stories, but uh, let's let's see if that pans out as the season goes on. Now we're looking at some of the other stats here. You can see the intervals. Uh, towards the end of the game, Portland really poured on the possession. Colorado was happy to sit back and absorb and, and try to see out a one nothing lead. As far as expected goals, 1.6 for Colorado, 1 for Portland. Um, so some quality opportunities for both teams, but in the end, it was Colorado that makes the most of them. Now the Rapids get a solid conference win. Again, Portland slumping without their best players in Chara and Blanco, uh, Diego Chara. A um, couple things to note: Zardes gets his first start for Colorado. Not a bad, not a bad game. I didn't see all of his action, all of his play, but he almost had a goal. He almost had an assist, and does clear out the defense on one play. A really great run from left to right 
The defense follows him over, and then Jonathan Lewis is wide open coming in from the left-sided run, and Barrios plays him through, and Lewis gets the shot off. Uh, it was saved, great save. Uh, but again, Sardis contributing with Colorado. Uh, Rubio, though, gets the headlines with his goal and with his red card. Um, it was a beautiful free-kick goal, just, just powers it into the back of the net. Fantastic stuff to watch. Um, but also looking at the highlights and looking at the shot chart, I like seeing Colorado, and I kind of touched on this before, look at all these shots that Colorado has had from like the 20, like the 19 to 22 yard range. They are teeing off from outside. Lewis, 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 especially uh, Rubio, Rubio, and who else? Mark Anthony K with one. Uh, he gets the late goal from just it just outside the 18 it looks like a beautiful curler on his left foot into the far post even rosenberry and and max are getting shots from right around the edge of the 18 so i love seeing a team confident enough to take those shots as well as if they use it tactically to kind of open up uh some of the defense right and put some pressure on the defenders to step up a little bit and engage them maybe that opens up a few little passing lanes for tap-ins now moving on to uh, some of the games from today, Sunday, May 1st, New York City 3, San Jose 0. Goals from Keaton Parks, Dos Santos, and Gloucester on uh, the 74th, 78th, and 88th minutes, respectively. Nothing from San Jose. New York with 55% possession, 23 shots, 9 on goal. Honestly, I watched the whole second half of this game. I'm surprised San Jose ended up with 11 shots total, let alone 3 on goal, because they had nothing going for them in that second half. Uh, and you can see the passing numbers reflecting that as well. And let's go take a look at, oh, only three yellow cards in this game, all to New York City. So uh, maybe that's uh, not as bad. But look at the shots, man. NYC just peppering, just peppering San Jose's net here. I, I think, was Marcinkowski starting in goal? Let's let's take a look. I, I think it was him, man, because I, I feel bad for whoever it was. And what is this shot? Francisco Calvo. Uh, in the 12th minute, launching one from his own half on goal. I can't stand watching him play. He just doesn't know what he's doing most of the time. As good as he is for Costa Rica, or has been for Costa Rica, he just forgets all that when he comes and plays for the for his whatever MLS team he's on at the time. Right now, unfortunately, San Jose. Now, let's again, let's look at these intervals. And yeah, New York dominating the second half, right? Dominating the second half. And it showed on the stats, it showed watching the game to get all three of their goals uh, later on in the second half. And honestly, this could have been 5 nothing, 6 nothing again for New York City over San Jose. Um, it was just another beautiful offensive performance. New York City, just like their, their sister club across the pond, Man City, they just keep attacking. They If they're up three goals... They're going to do the same thing as if it was 0-0 at kickoff. They're going to play the same style. They're going to put pressure on you. They are going to continue to look for the back of the net. I love it. And as much as I loved watching New York City's offense this game, because, man, they were moving the ball. They were passing. Maxi Morales didn't even come until, I want to say, midway through the second half or later on in the second half and just continued the beautiful ball movement and an offensive prowess of NYC. As good as they were, that's how bad San Jose was the second half. Their defense just looked lost. Like, they needed a map 
to figure out where they're supposed to be on the field. And do I mark him? Like, for a team that was so heavy on man-marking under Matias Almeida, like, they just didn't mark anybody this second half. I'm watching these New York City goals, and you just see the San Jose defenders, like, backpedaling in the space. You're already in your own 18. There's nowhere for you to go. Step up, body up. It's ridiculous. It was just a terrible performance by San Jose, and I've never been one to to really stump for pro rel for MLS, but can we relegate San Jose just somewhere? They forgot how to play soccer. And uh, yeah, let's take a look at, at the lineups. Um, yep. It was Marcinkowski in goal for San Jose. Mar I, you got my admiration, Marcinkowski for coming out there and, and knowing you're just going to get slammed with, with this defensive line in front of you. Now we move on to a much more exciting game because it was Nashville's opening of Geodis Park, their new 30,000-seat stadium, and it was raucous. It was rowdy. It was loud. There was energy. The place was bumping. There was yellow smoke all throughout the pregame, and it almost was a terrible opening from a result standpoint. They kind of get bailed out. In the 85th minute, a PK is awarded uh, for a handball, and rightly so. I I'm not saying they were bailed out because it was a bad call, but it just didn't look like they were going to find that finishing touch throughout the game. They had opportunities, but they needed Leal to convert that PK to earn the point after Michael Ure gets one in the 66th, his first goal of the season. Now, looking at the numbers, Nashville had the majority of the possession, and I would expect that at home, and I would expect Philly to do that on the road as well. Um, shots, 15 for Nashville, 10 for Philly, those 6 and 5 on goal, respectively. Uh, decent passing game from Nashville. Philly, less than 300 passes, and at 67%, that's, that's bad. Even if you are conceding possession, that's just bad. So Philly... They've got a lot to work on in training this week, and I'm sure Jim Curtin is going to have them working. Let's see if the trends continue. Yep, seven yellow cards this game, but at least no reds on this one. Looking at kind of the offensive creativity here, looking at the shot map, it really looked like, um, you know, Nashville here really peppering from all over the place. McCarty actually had a great volley from distance that just bent outside of the far post. And then he tried it again, only to have it blocked. Like, he, he was feeling himself today a little bit from an offensive perspective, and it's great to see Dax McCarty feeling that good. As we continue to scroll down, looking at some of the passing numbers, and I got to say, this is great. MLSsoccer.com has stepped up their web game, their website game, their match center game uh, from last season, putting these advanced numbers. I love it. And I talk about it because the way I look at these advanced stats and numbers and everything, it's not the whole game to me. But it does give us talking points, right? Like looking at the possession intervals, like what happened here towards the end of the first half that Philly was dominating the possession, right? Um, look at where these shots are coming in from and who's stepping up and taking them. It gives us talking points, and it also can kind of confirm or deny what you're seeing with the eye test on this one. Expected goals on this one, Nashville 1.9. Expected goals, obviously, uh, depending on what uh, statistical company the MLS is using, uh, you're going to get between a 0.7 and a 0.9 for a penalty kick. So you take away the penalty kick, they were still expected to get about a goal. Philly was expected to get one with their quality of opportunities, and it turns into a 1-1 draw. Now let's look at some of my notes here uh, again yes geodis park g-e-o-d-i-s all caps park 
uh, a new stadium. Um, real quick, just so everyone knows, Geodis is a French company that does transport, logistics, and supply chain management. So there you go. Now when people say Geodis Park, you're like, oh, yeah, it's a French company. Yeah, they keep good sponsors. Yeah, good stuff. Anyway, it was a very physical game. Uh, we saw the seven yellow cards, uh, and no doubt that was in part of the energy in the stadium and the Nashville fans. Now, again, we kind of talked about how Nashville kind of got bailed out. Nashville played a really good game, but I wanted to, to focus my notes here on Michael Uda for Philadelphia. He gets on the score sheet. Now, he was brought in to be the focal point of the Philly attack. I think Philly is trying to transition away from, you know, which guy is going to step up today. We have three or four guys who can score on any given day. They want to have Ure be the guy who's going to score every day. Like, that's what they're looking to get out of him. It was a hard transition for him the first few games. He's only gotten now one goal in six appearances. And it was a great counterattack. And what I really liked is he was not in a hurry to shoot. He didn't feel the pressure in that moment to rifle one, or rifle a bad shot towards the goal. He brought the ball down under control. He made a great, or first of all, he made a great run to the back shoulder of the defender and was able to get into the space, bring the ball down, and then have the patience to cut back across the defender, across the goalkeeper, and slot the ball in uh, in the back of the net. He also had a third-minute shot saved after cutting past a couple defenders. So he he's definitely finding his comfort zone. I would say, based on what I saw this game, so keep an eye on him for the next few weeks and see if he starts finding the back of the net with a little bit more frequency. Now, the last game of the weekend, it is still going on as I am recording this video on a Sunday night, one of those late West Coast start games in LAFC. I mean, it's 11 o'clock Central Time. I'm sure the party is just getting started, even though it's the 75th minute of the game. Uh, over in L.A. And Ramon, hopefully you're out there partying as well, man, and enjoying it. And hopefully LAFC can do something special for you. Uh, and Minnesota fans, coming away with a point on the road might not be the worst thing. But we are in the 73rd minute as I'm recording this. And you can look at the stats so far. Fairly even game as far as the possession and the passing goes for both teams. Um, no, one yellow card. Wow, the game that finally bucks the trend. Maybe the referee's so tired, he doesn't want to be stopping the game and pulling his cards out. But you can see that LAFC already has 11 shots from all over the place. So it's looking like they may have the advantage thus far. But the game momentum is shifting. Again, why am I looking at these intervals? We can look at the momentum here. LAFC, with a lot of possession, moving towards Minnesota in the second half. Right now, expected goals LAFC's at 1 with their 16 shots, and Minnesota, 0.6. So Minnesota not doing much offensively right now. We'll see if everything stays the same, if it stays level, or if we can get a result for either team in this game. But anyway, like I said, it's going to be past my bedtime here, folks. I may not be the oldest man, but I feel like an old man. I have old men mentality. I got to get up and work tomorrow. So I'm going to close out LAFC in Minnesota. Be sure to check all the scores tomorrow. Um, but let's take a quick look at the standings before we start to wrap things up here. Out east, top of the conference, Philadelphia with 18 points through nine games. Philly is playing really well from a result standpoint. They're winning the close games. They're drawing the close games. Only one loss and three draws, five wins. So Philly's looking good. 
if the playoffs started today, it would be New York, Orlando, and Montreal hosting those first rounders. And then New York City, Columbus getting back above the playoff line. Uh, and Atlanta, despite their recent struggles, doing enough to be right in the mix right now. What's surprising to me is seeing D.C. so far down. We're used to seeing Cincinnati, Miami, and Chicago towards the bottom of the Eastern Conference. But to see D.C. falling so far, I don't know if they're still kind of getting over the, the Losada firing and still trying to find a better culture uh, there, if the players are still engaged. Again, I don't know that. I'm not in the locker room, and I know these players are pros, and they're going to give it their all, right? But you never know what's going on in the subconscious over there. So that's what things look like in the East. Nice to see Charlotte still in the hunt uh, for a playoff spot. Again, we're only in week nine. Going out west, Austin atop the standings, tied with LAFC on points, but ahead on the goal differential. They've scored 22 goals and only allowed eight. It's incredible. They're 22 goals. Let's see, if you look at the bottom half of their conference, I mean, they're scoring as much as, you know, two or three other teams have. And then you have LAFC, LA, and Dallas. I'm not surprised to see LA, the two LA teams towards the top of the West. Again, Austin's the big surprise. I like a resurgent Dallas team. Grabbing that point against Kansas City really helped them. I am kind of surprised to see Salt Lake, Minnesota, and Houston in this 5-6-7. I expected more of a Nashville, Seattle, Kansas City maybe Colorado as well in that area. We know Kansas City has been falling off this year. Uh, we know Colorado is kind of reloading, and Seattle is definitely more focused on CCL. So, again, week nine, but this is where we sit in the standings on this cool Midwestern night. Now, friends, I want to thank you all for watching, for listening on the podcast. Again, Rate us and share the podcast. Like, let us know how you're liking things, how the quality is, uh, and, and if there's anything else we can work in and out. And as far as on the YouTube side of things, what do I always say? Like, subscribe, share, and super chats. Right? Love to see that. I'd love to get my first super chat and you know, send, give my thanks to whoever that fan and viewer is that does it. Uh, but again, sign up for SOP. Subscribe to them. Purchase the full subscription for Sons of a Pit Soccer Central, for all the goodies, the discount on the merch, the bonus videos that Mike puts out, especially if you like putting wagers on some of these games. And again, subscribe to the, to the channel because Mike does his betting picks and predictions. He does live watch-alongs, some of the best chat in all of MLS and CONCACAF. Come find me on Twitter at Wife Kids House and my own YouTube channel at Wife Children House. Uh, we just hit over 100 subscribers and... I don't want to be the guy that has to buy subscribers to reach a wider audience. So keep up the organic growth. I really haven't marketed myself much. And just from, you know, finding people on Twitter, Fire fans and MLS fans have already hit over 100 people in a couple of months. So I feel pretty good about that. We're going to make it even better. But anyway, everyone, it's been great talking with you again. We're about at the hour mark. So I will let you get on with your lives, even though for many of us, soccer is life. Enjoy the rest of your week. Looking forward to some midweek games coming up on the MLS. And until next time, friends, keep living that soccer life. Take care.